0: very much. Man, what a sweet spirit in the house this morning, right? Praise God. God is good. God is good. When you get in his presence, you could like stay there all day long, I think, for sure. So thank you to the worship team for being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and leading us in such a beautiful way. So, before I jump into preaching, I just feel like I got a whole bunch of things I got to do first. Um, I don't live in Indonesia anymore, okay, so even though I spent 23 years here, I'm no longer stationed in Indonesia, but I arrived last night, and even though I feel like I'm a little overdressed, it's like if I can wear a batik shirt, I'm just gonna wear it, okay, so I hope you'll forgive me for being a little overdressed, but I'm just going in batik, and I'm gonna go in batik like the whole two weeks that I'm gonna be here, so um, we're just gonna do that. Uh, Secondly, um, it could be that Pastor Don is watching online, and if he is, we're praying for his dad. And uh, Don has been a friend of Liz and I since we were in seminary together. So I don't even want to count the number because we're old, okay? So it's been a couple decades, though. So we've been friends with Don and Carol uh, for a long time. And then um, last week you had a guest speaker... uh, Ron Parrish. And Ron and Janine are here, and they've been friends of ours for also like 30 plus years, and were our mentor missionaries when we came to Indonesia and lived in Malang all those years and years ago. So we just love these guys, and so glad to see them this morning as well. All right, good. Um, yeah, you know, I, all I can say is it's hard to describe the feelings of landing back into Indonesia, a place that Liz and I—my wife Liz is here too, by the way. <laughs> She's more important than anybody I mentioned so far. But you know, as we were together in Landing in Indonesia, it's hard to describe the feelings of like coming back home here because we really consider this a second home for us. And um, you know, as I travel because we we're overseeing forty countries, so we go to a lot of places and. They always ask me, like, what's your favorite country in Asia? And I'm like, well, that's easy. It's Indonesia, you know, over any place, you know, that we go to. So you're fortunate to live here in this amazing country, the cultural diversity, the beauty of this place. So um, I envy all of you, and I know we're going to really enjoy our time here Um, just as a, you know, a little bit of our family background Uh, We have been married coming up on 35 years, and we have three children all grown and five grandchildren, which is maybe the most important thing, okay? Uh, And one of our children lives in Medan, Indonesia, so Medan will be part of our stopping place along the way here. All right, so this morning, I wanted to talk a little bit about living by faith, living by faith. Now, when I say the words living by faith, I know it's not deep and profound and like, wow, that title is blowing me away, but living by faith is something that we all do, maybe, I don't know about all the time, but it's something that we all do and have to do if we're going to survive this human experience here on earth. You know, the word faith itself is, you know, something that people sometimes equate to a religion, or it's faith is sometimes equated to a system of beliefs. But I want to just say this morning that living by faith is in many ways living in the unknown. You know, when we say that we've got faith in God, it's a God that can't be seen, and sometimes it's a God that can't physically be heard, or even it's sometimes felt, So, when I talk about living by faith, I want to say that there are experiences we have in life that require something extra, that require us to dig deep and say, Lord, what is the core of what we believe to carry us through difficult times? So, the basis of how I want to share about what it means to live by faith is a story I want to read in Acts chapter 12. So, You can follow along on the screen if you want because the scripture's up there or if you've got it on your phone. And does anybody carry a Bible anymore? Oh, a couple of people. Good for you, man. I'm so glad there's some real Christians here. That's like awesome. Yeah. You know, when you go on these trips like Liz and I do, the thought of bringing like a full-scale Bible is like, no, you can get it all on the app and on your, your iPad, you know. So, okay, Acts chapter 12. And it starts out, James is killed and Peter is imprisoned. So about that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals, and he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel, but all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders planned to do to me. When he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda, Came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that, that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he went to another place. May the Lord add his blessing to the word this morning. Let me pray real quick. Lord, I just ask for freedom in this room and freedom in the hearts of every person here. I pray, Lord, that as your word is delivered and this amazing story is understood with a lens of faith, Lord, that you would build our hearts And give us strength for the day in which we live. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's kind of a long story. And, you know, it's a lot of the Bible to read in one sitting. So if you didn't have devotions today and read your Bible, you're good. You read like a whole chapter of the Bible, okay? So I like to read a lot of the Word when I preach. I think it's healthy and valuable. And this is a complete story, And, you know, a pretty amazing account of what happened with Peter. And I would say that there are examples of both great faith and examples of great doubt in this story here about what God can do. And so today I want to give you four things that will help you understand living by faith. And the first thing is that living by faith is full of the unexpected. Living by faith is full of the unexpected. I could probably even say here that life is full of the unexpected for all of us. You know, who would have predicted, you know, two and a half or so years ago what happened in this whole pandemic? I don't think anyone could have predicted what was going to happen. Maybe there's some things in your own personal life that you would say, I couldn't have predicted that that would happen. You know, even the apostles of Jesus, even these great people of faith like Peter and James and the people of the early church had unexpected things happen. I'm going to say here that when James, the brother of John, was martyred, the church did not expect that to happen. Now was that a, was that a big event? You know we just kind of read through that. You have to realize that when Jesus was on earth, he had twelve disciples, and the top three disciples were Peter. John and James, they were always together. They were the top three, and one of the top three leaders of the church is killed. And you know, the Bible is kind of polite by saying he was killed with a sword, but the reality is his head was chopped off by Herod. You know, I don't know what would shake you in your personal life? But I can assure you that the church, when James's head was chopped off and then Peter was arrested, probably seemingly having to face the same fate, they were unsettled. They weren't sure what was going to happen next, and they were very uncertain about the future. And the first point I'm trying to make here is that if you feel uncertain, if you feel unsettled, if you feel like you weren't sure wh- or what was going to happen next in your life or currently what's going to happen in your life, you are in good company with the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think what happens sometimes when people make a declaration of faith and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus, we think everything's going to be good. All my problems will disappear. And my life is going to be smooth and run like a perfect, you know, kind of story from here and out. And honestly, when you do become a Christian, a lot of good things happen. And following Christ is a good life. And there's a lot of peace involved. And yet, we still live in a fallen human world where sometimes bad things still happen. And unexpected things still happen. And we live in a world that is still throwing unexpected things at us and maybe at you. So maybe my opening point this morning for all of us is that if you're living here in this world at this time and some unexpected things have happened to you over the last few years, you've got to live by faith even in the midst of the difficulty that you're facing. Second thing I want to say about living by faith is that we need to stay calm while living by faith. Everybody say that word, calm. You know, I kind of liked the worship leader when he got to the end. You know, he did Greatest My Faithfulness, you know, that old hymn. But, you know, we kind of, that was like, you know, the calm effect was coming over the church, right? I, you know, I don't know how Peter remained calm. Let's just kind of look at that story. I think we read through it. We don't realize what's going on. So let me, let me paint the picture for you. Peter is in jail. Number one, he's in jail. I'd ask for a show of hands of who's been in jail, but that wouldn't be so good, right? So won't do that. Peter's in jail. Number two, Peter is lying on a cement or cell floor with no clothes on. No, what's the first thing the angel says is, get dressed. Then he says, get your clothes on or get your cloak on. So, you know, they had like a a, a loincloth and then they had like a linen, uh, you know, kind of like a t-shirt and then they had a cloak, but all that stuff is off. So he's now lying on a self floor with no clothes and furthermore, His friend, who was there just a few days before him, had his head chopped off. And Peter is going to go on trial the next morning. And so when the angel comes in the cell, it says, it was a bright light. Okay, here's the question. I'm watching you, Liz. Here's the question. How many of you can't sleep when there's a bright light on in the room at night? You like it dark good, about half. You know, Liz, raise your hand, and I'm like, no, you like the light on, okay? I like it dark. If I get a little light, I can't sleep. Well, Peter, here he is in this dark cell. He's completely with no clothes on, laying on the ground. The angel walks in, and it's like, ta-da, this big light comes on. And what's Peter's response? He's fast asleep. Matter of fact, If I was the angel, I would have been, like, ticked off. I'm from the presence of God. Ta-da! So, you know, he's sleeping, and so what he does then, the the Bible says the angel kind of hits him, right? It says he had to awaken Peter. Hey, get up. I'm here to save you. Stop sleeping. You're supposed to be worried about this stuff, right? You're supposed to have anxiety, How many of you, if you were in a cell, in a jail, with no clothes on, and you knew you were probably going to die the next day, how many of you would be asleep? I I don't think I could sleep. I mean, even without the dying sentence, I don't think I could sleep in a situation like that. So what was it about Peter that helped him remain calm in the midst of, Of some terrible, awful circumstances. Well, I'm going to speculate a little bit, because this isn't really in the Bible, but I think I kind of know Peter a little bit. First of all, I think Peter knew that God had a plan for his life. No, he did. He had to, right? He had to know that There was a plan in place by the Lord, and something was going to happen. If you look back in the book of Acts, there was another time where the angels got him out of jail at one other time. And he's like, well, that could happen again here. You know, I think sometimes what happens to us is we forget the God of the past, we forget the God of 2019, the God of 2018 or 17, and we forget the things that God did in the past, and when we face new things, we kind of forget that God has done things in the past. You see, one of the things I've learned about the Lord is He is the great orchestrator. He is the great weaver. He puts things together. He makes them beautiful, but He does it in His time and in His way, and we've got to believe that's how we remain calm, is that when things are going poorly, we remain calm because we know that God has a plan. This is the God of Peter. The other thing I'm just, like I said, kind of guessing here is that Peter ultimately knew that his home was not here on earth. You see, when Peter laid there in that prison cell, knowing he might die tomorrow, he was probably saying, well, I'll be with James. I'll be with Jesus again. I'm okay with that. You know, this is where faith really gives us strength, is when we can honestly say that we're calm and we're at peace with the Lord, with knowing Christ as our Savior. You see, when we know Him, He'll give us peace even when we face death, even when we face a situation that would scare us greatly. And I think one of the things that the pandemic has done is it's brought to the surface, you know, the the, the question people would say is, you know, what if I get this and die? That scares me. And it scares a lot of people. Peter was able to remain calm because he had faith in a God that had prepared a place for him in eternity. I want to, you know, it's not always so popular to preach on the afterlife or on heaven, but I do want you to know that the faith journey, that living by faith is believing that Jesus has gone ahead of you and that he's prepared a place for you. And I want to pray a blessing over ICC Bali. You're all going to live to 150 years old. But at some point, your life will end. So you can, don't, don't, you know, when I talk like that, sometimes people are like, oh no, that means we're going to die. That's why I said you're going to live to 150. Now everybody's taking a big breath like, "Ah, pastor blessed me with 150 years, hallelujah. But there's going to be a point where we stand before him. The third thing about living by faith is that we need to pray earnestly while living by faith. So I, I love this, you know, the story here in, in verse 5. After Peter gets put in prison, it says, But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And, you know, when I did my studies of, you know, the the, the New Testament and, and different words that they use, this is a real unique combination of praying very earnestly. You don't see it a whole lot. So this was not your normal kind of prayer. You know, maybe today you'll go to lunch, and before you eat your lunch, you'll be like, Lord, we thank you for the lunch. The food's going to be so good, in Jesus' name, amen, and that's it. Or, you know, you wake up in the morning, Lord, give me a good day today. It's going to be a good day. No, this kind of praying earnestly was the kind of prayer where they bombarded the gates of heaven and they then they prayed for not just you know one day but two days they they prayed unceasingly you can see here that even when Peter got out of prison in the middle of the night. They were still praying at a house for God to release them. They weren't going to stop praying until God was going to answer and release Peter. I think one of the things that's happening in the church today, one of the reasons why we don't have the kind of living faith that the apostles have, is because we're just not praying earnestly before the Lord. We're not getting into those times where we're going to pray for hours, we're going to gather and seek the face of God. God until he moves on our behalf. You see, living by faith sometimes requires us to pray earnestly. You know, I, Liz and I oversee uh, these missionaries um, around Asia and the Pacific now, and uh, one of the privileges we have is we get to interview all the new candidates that come, and I'm not going to be able to give like specific geographic details because we're all, you know, we're online and everything. But um, this this couple came to us and they were wanting to serve in a country that was considered very sensitive and very closed. You know, we 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 had a few people in the country, but it was like, you know, very quiet, you know, hush hush. So they were interviewing, they wanted to come to serve in that country. And yeah you know, we were pretty excited and we thought we could get them a a visa to get into the country and and when the 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 lady the wife of the uh, the wife of the, of the the couple came into the meeting she pulled out of a, her bible or her folder a piece of notebook paper you remember the kind of notebook paper you pull it out and the edge is kind of frayed on the side you know it was one of those pieces of paper very old and it had a pencil drawing it didn't really look like anything to me. And she said, when I was a teenager, I had a vision of this and I wrote it down. I, I outlined this vision I had. And I didn't even know what it was. But after a while, I started to realize this must be a place on a map. So this young gal, she, she started like going all over the world, getting countries by provinces and, and like laying this thing down to see if she could figure out where this was. Well, come to find out, it was the exact outline of the province in the country where she wanted to serve. No, she didn't even know the name of this country when that vision came to her, right? So, of course, we were, like, all excited, but I confess I, like, had some doubts because I'm like, okay, first of all, we can hardly get people in the country, and in that province and in the capital of that province, to my knowledge, no one has ever gone there and started a church or served the Lord there. So they they went out, they raised their funds to go on their mission, and Um, we were, you know, in the midst of COVID at the time. And so they they raised their funds and they couldn't actually leave for the country because the country was closed, you know. And so instead of not doing anything, I sent them to a city in the United States called Chicago. Now, I sent them to Chicago because we had heard there were a few, like uh, there was an immigrant population of people from the country. I said, why don't you move to Chicago? You can work with this church and then get to know people there. So they were doing that work and that year we were going to have a week of earnest prayer and fasting and I said to all the missionaries I said hey submit to me your your, your prayer requests and we're going to pray and fast for a whole week. So I got all these requests in and sure enough I get a request from that couple that said pray that we get a visa and pray that we can live in this city and in this province where we want to go. Now when I saw that I was like that's covid I mean it's like impossible. How many of you know that we serve an impossible God? So we did a week of prayer. It was Zoom prayers because people are Zooming in from all over the place. We did a week of Zoom prayers. And at the end of the week of prayers, we ended it on a Saturday. On a Tuesday, I got an email from them. And I always love it when it starts, you're never going to believe this. One of the people they met in Chicago has a family member who has a university in the very city where they wanted to go. And they said, we'll get you a job, we'll get you a visa, and they've been there now over a year. I just want to just say that when we pray earnestly, God is orchestrating. And in the case of Peter and this prison that he was in, God was in the background orchestrating. So living by faith requires us to pray prayers of faith, believing that God can do the impossible, that God can change your circumstances, your situations, whatever they are. He is the great behind the scenes, orchestrator, and can do great things on your behalf. The last thing I want to share about living by faith is that somehow we need to believe that God will show up while living by faith. You know, I said in the beginning of this message that the, the, the story is not just a story of faith, but it's also a story of unbelief. So the unbelief really starts with Peter because Peter is seeing the angel walking out the gate. The doors are opening in front of him. And the Bible says as he's walking along the street, he finally realized that it had happened. He thought he was dreaming, right? So he must have like pinched himself. So so where do you go when you get out of a prison like that, well, you go to the place where everyone's praying for you so you can say, hey, you don't have to pray for me anymore. God has answered your prayer. So he goes to the house of John Mark's mother where they're gathered to pray. He knocks on the door and the servant girl, the pambantu, yeah, I speak a little Indonesian, the pambantu comes to the door and she hears Peter's voice. She's like, hey, it's Peter. So she runs into the back of the prayer meeting, and she says, Peter is at the door. And what do all the serious men and women of God in the prayer meeting say? Don't bother us. We're praying for Peter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think Rhoda, you know, she wanted to slap him, you know, and she's like, no, Peter is outside the door. And finally they hear her and they're like, well, it can't be Peter, it must be his angel. Now, one of the beliefs of people back in that day, okay? This is going to be like extra in the sermon. One of the peop- one of the beliefs of people in that day was that every person was assigned a guardian angel and they looked like you. So look at the neighbor next to you, make sure that, you know, Make sure that it's not an angel, but it's really that person, you know? So, and if you're married, you'll thank me for this. Sometimes I do things and Liz gets mad at me. Even though I'm a pastor, sometimes my wife can get mad at me. But when she gets really mad at me, I say, it wasn't me that did it. It was my angel. <laughs> All the men in the room will thank me. It's the only thing you're going to get out of this sermon, right? No. No. <laughs> but to bring our thoughts back. These these people in the room that were praying so didn't believe that Peter was outside that they so didn't believe that Peter was outside that they were willing to even say it was some copy of Peter. It was some angel instead of really him. You see, there was so much unbelief in that difficult circumstance. And yet, there was this young woman named Rhoda, a pambantu, a servant girl who said, no, I believe. No, I've heard his voice. No, I'm telling you, he's outside the door. And some of you are like, I'm just a person of small faith. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a church leader. I don't think I've got much when it comes to my Christianity. Even your small faith, even your little faith will be enough to move a mountain and for God to do great. And impossible things. You know, one of the things that's, I think, happened to us over the last few years is that there's been this spirit of unbelief that's come over the church. There's been a spirit of unbelief, and it's almost like we've been chained by this spirit of unbelief And I think maybe the message that I've come here to deliver to you today is that the spirit of unbelief, that the chains of unbelief would come off of ICC Bali in the name of Jesus. Let's come out of the pandemic with a living faith. Let's come out of the pandemic with a faith, believing God for great things and for big things. Because God can do the amazing if we just... Live by faith. We were the beggars, now we're royalty. We were the priestess, now we're on and free. We are forgiven, accept.